Mitch McConnell is a bad person. Mitch McConnell is dangerous for America. Mitch McConnell is an obstructionist who's making impossible pass legislation in, in Congress. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. We see a fair amount of political entrepreneurship lately with single-issue political fundraising committees, some of which deserve skepticism about either their tactics or their use of the money they raise. My guest today, Brian Lemick, is running a new organization called Defend the Vote. Brian is not a newcomer to the progressive space, having previously run Brady Pack, where he worked to elect more advocates of gun regulation, and he's now bringing what he learned to the voting rights arena. I was interested to find out about his plans for Defend the Vote and how things are developing there, because we need all the help we can get in that area. So Brian and I had a good talk about his background and how Defend the Vote is organized in raising money and what he plans to do with it. If you're interested in the progressive ecosystem or the defense of our voting rights, you'll want to listen. So first my sponsor, then my interview with Brian Lemick of Defend the Vote. Check out the large, detailed, and high-quality political data graphic posters from Timeplots. Our visual history of the American presidency, for example, lets you see the Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump presidencies in full context. Timeplot's library includes visual histories of the United States House, the United States Senate, the Supreme Court, and the Democratic and Republican parties. Find them all at www.timeplots.com. Use the code BATTLEFIELD for a discount. Brian, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? My name is Brian Lemick. I'm the executive director of Defend the Vote, which is a hybrid PAC here in Washington, D.C. Uh, I began my career in the nonprofit space, uh, in fundraising in particular, uh, living in South Africa, working for a group called Peace Plays International, and uh, moved on to nonprofit consulting, which sent me all over the world. I lived in uh, the Middle East, in, in Saudi Arabia. I was in Europe. I was throughout Southern Africa. And then Rejoined Peace Players again and found my way to guns because the last year or so uh, with Peace Players, I had spent about seven months out of the country and uh, followed the three girls and my wife kind of, we had a conversation about me sticking around. And so I came over to the gun violence prevention organization, Brady, and started up Brady's political arm about three years ago. Uh, and then just most recently transitioned from the gun violence prevention movement, representing Brady. I uh, came over to defend the vote, which is focused on voting access, voting rights, and getting champions elected to Congress. They're going to talk about this issue. They're going to push this issue. But also at the state level, working with secretaries of state and attorney generals and election officials as well, the folks that are on the ground ensuring that we have safe and fair elections. That's an interesting career, I think, so far. All those years abroad, what did you take from that that you apply when you're dealing with U.S. politics? Yeah, so I had a really interesting experience in South Africa, 10 years post-apartheid. And so we were able to see this new democracy being born. It, the ANC was still Mandela's party. 
there was enthusiasm, there was excitement, uh, there was real change in the air. Uh, so we work primarily in the townships, which if you're not familiar, is areas where effectively Africans were put during apartheid, very poorly resourced, not a lot of economic opportunity, not a lot of the raw infrastructure that you would see. And these are the communities that we spend most of our time. The folks there were real excited about the opportunity for prosperity, opportunity to grow. There was some concern from, from white folks, but all in, there was real excitement around this post-apartheid era, this democracy. Four, five, six years later, coming in and out of the country, I started to see a lot of the change there. So we started to see a lot of that corruption and other issues that plague a lot of nations and saw this rise and fall effectively of democracy very quickly. That was one perspective. Uh, living in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, living in a monarchy <laughs> is a fascinating experience. For me, especially as an American, traveling abroad, uh, there's, all, uh, there's all sorts of different takes people have of you. And I was very proud to always say I was American. I still am uh, when I'm traveling. But in Riyadh, it was exceptional because the oppression that the folks there and the oppression in that country is real. Uh, it's faced by women. It's faced by foreigners. It's disproportionately faced by women. Seeing that live and in color was gave me this incredible appreciation for really what we have. And I'm not even trying to be sentimental or anything. It just was like, wow, it can be this way. And it really used to be this way for the majority of the world. Looking at the lack of opportunity that everybody had. I mean, if you weren't from Saudi, it was very difficult for you to get things done. If you were a woman, it was almost impossible. And just looking at the rights that we have, while our democracy is still growing and learning and America certainly has its problems, it brought a lot of pride for me, but it also just made me think, well, how fragile things actually are. And uh, looking at the rise and fall in South Africa, not falls unfair to say to the folks that are working hard there now, but just looking at that rise and looking at the kingdom. And then looking at, you know, I was in Northern Ireland for a while, looking at what's happening there with the, with the real segregation that's occurring between, you know, Republicans and unionists uh, or uh, you know, Catholics and Protestants, et cetera. So this experience abroad, about 15 years of it, coming over to politics was really exciting because I feel like this perspective of seeing how it can work, how it doesn't work, and then still seeing some of the flaws that we have here in America has been really fun, really, really exciting. I think it's applied a lot to, to what we're doing now. You joined Brady as a as a fundraiser, really. And yeah, I came in on the C3 side. A lot of my work in the international space was global relationships, so managing some of the larger donors, some of the larger foundations, corporates, et cetera, uh, working on the USAID contract that we had. Um, and so that was my pathway to Brady. And, and you know, <laughs> politics is something I've always been personally interested in, right? Uh, and, and being abroad, I spent a lot of time in the consulate's office and consulate generals and, and uh, in the embassies. And I was always fascinated by international development, diplomacy, and politics. It was Brady's president, actually, who herself is really, really impressive, really entrepreneurial, saw an opportunity for our policy team to better grow and thrive. Uh, and so she introduced this concept of a pack. Me being the fundraiser and knowing how to bring money in, it just kind of was like natural progression for me to step into that space. And so I basically moonlit as a PAC director for about a year and a half while running the C3 and the C4 fundraising, keeping a really clear separation between the two. And then we just reached this point of saturation where we had a goal in 2018 in that cycle. We started March of 2018 in that 18 cycle. We said, all right, let's raise a, let's see if we can do 125,000. Let's make some investments, see how that works. See if the pack is something we should pursue. Well, we ended up raising 500,000. Made a lot of really strategic investments, uh, created some really meaningful friendships, but most importantly, got some gun violence prevention candidates elected into Congress, like Representative McBath. 
like Jason Crow and Lizzie Fletcher and all these folks that are real champions on the issue. And then we got to work with some of our members that have been longstanding, like Representative Thompson and, and one of my favorites, Representative Swalwell, who's, you know, who's incredible on our issue. Sharice Davids, all these folks that have been really meaningful members of Congress now. Um, but at that 18, we said, all right, well, well we, we're on to something here. This is clearly working. And, and said, if I can put my time and energy toward only the pack, I think we can grow really fast. Or we can just keep it here. We do a million, and that's great, too. Uh, but the decision was made to come over and be the executive director of Brady Pack a few years ago. I came in, and then we grew with the team that we had there. We grew to about $5.6 million in the 2020 cycle. So we saw this massive growth having an organization that uh, was small nimble, we were able to go a lot of different directions with things, always keeping gun violence prevention in the scope. But we looked at voting access and voting rights, and we saw that like gun violence prevention, uh, which disproportionately impacts communities of color, uh, voting access, voting rights, et cetera, do the same thing. So we looked and said, okay, let's continue to invest in our champions, but let's do some in, uh, uh, insurance around their elections, around the races. Let's sure make sure that folks are actually getting to the polls that we know will benefit from legislation being passed on the issue. So we teamed up with an organization called The Collective, which is this great grassroots organizing org. And we made an, an investment through The Collective to get out there and really do a lot of door knocking uh, when a lot of Democrats weren't doing that, uh, a lot of get out the vote effort, a lot of messaging around getting out the vote, and then just simple things like sharing where the polling places are, what the times are, et cetera. We also invested in a group called Flip Texas, uh, where we were able through that investment to get over 80,000 Texans registered to vote, uh, something that we're particularly proud of. But anyway, so we started to see, okay, we're raising money off of guns, Nathaniel. We're giving money to guns, but we're also giving money to voting access and voting rights. It's hard to raise money off of guns. It's a single issue. So sometime around this time last year, the Brady board was looking and said, okay, we're raising off of guns or giving to voting. Why not raise off of voting and give to voting? So we set up this affiliate pack called Defend the Vote. Uh, and Defend the Vote is the organization I lead now. We were operating both Brady Pack and Defend the Vote at the same time. It became impossible to do both. And looking at a new and exciting opportunity in the horizon, work with the Brady Pack board to separate from Brady Pack actually to separate the organization as well. Uh, so we're no longer affiliated and Defend the Vote is operating as an independent uh, uh, hybrid carry committee. And we have seen just in the three months that I've been behind the helm full time, we've seen exceptional growth in the organization on fundraising. We're working really tight with members right now to be talking about the issue. Everyone's voting for it. Everyone's voting for HR4. We know people behind it, but, but like some members of guns, they're just not leading on it. So Representative Vizi out of Texas, who chairs the um, Voting Rights Caucus, he's exceptional on this issue. We just need more of his colleagues to be doing the same. And a lot of what I've been doing is raising money and raising uh, that awareness around the messaging for the issue. All that time in development, all that time raising money for the Brady Pack and now for this one, what do you find works? What, what have you learned about how you bring money into this type of organization? Yeah, so a C3 is dramatically different than political fundraising. So 5133, mission-based, can ask for as much money as you want. The regulations around it aren't as uh, as uh, strenuous. So is Defend the Vote a C3? 
Defend the vote's not a C3. I'm just thinking back to my C3 fundraising days and just kind of how I moved into politics. Yeah. No, we're very much a pack. Uh, but but just so the, the fundraising is just dramatically different. What I learned early on with Brady Pack was if we're going to grow and grow fast, we have to adopt digital. It's just how political is raised. And so it's in the C3 side of things, I would say that, you know, uh, uh, digital was a smaller percentage of our overall net. On the political side, it is the largest percentage of our overall net. In fact, it's harder to raise that small dollar, like $1,500, $2,500 gifts, major giving, than it is on the digital side. It's just dramatically different. When we started Brady Pack, we started digital fundraising operation. When I started Defend the Vote, digital fundraising operation just to get us up and rolling. And no different than a lot of the political fundraising, uh, digital fundraising that you see out there. High volume, very topical messaging. And this is really aggressive approach using benchmarks and timelines around elections, around legislation, et cetera, to get our donors rallied, excited and behind the cause. You employ a digital fundraising firm for this? We do, yes. And so we've used a couple of firms in, in my time, but Mothership is the firm that we've been using for years now. Uh, unbelievably effective organization on messaging, on acquiring donors, on keeping fresh lists. And uh, getting you know getting the fundraising message out to to our over you know one hundred thousand uh, subscribers. I suspected it was mothership because I the reason I came across you was I got an email uh, unsolicited email asking me for money, and I had had a recent guest on the show or more than one who have taken their shots at mothership. Um, you're probably aware that they're fairly controversial for some of their tactics, for some of their organizations, including very big, important campaigns and entities. Some of that has to do with sort of the pressure tactics. Some of that has to do with how they write emails. Some of that has to do with where the lists come from. I'm not really an expert on it all. You're happy with the results, but how do you see them as a practitioner in the space? Not able to speak for Mothership, I can tell you on my side, when we acquire names and things of that nature, we do a lot of swapping. So we work with other organizations and we swap names back and forth. Mothership did a really nice job of getting ahead of some of the tactics that are now really frowned upon. So these opt-ins on texting, these opt-ins on monthly giving, et cetera, um, I was really pleased to see them very early on Everyone adopted those measures. They were early adapters to taking those away. Uh, they do have about, I don't know, 30 or 40 clients, perhaps. Some of the biggest, as you noted, in democratic politics. Um, with that comes a lot of uh, scrutiny. With that certainly comes uh, being under the microscope. So a lot of these tactics that a lot of different orgs all operate and use were kind of brought to light by Mothership's tactics. Um, but at the same time, Mothership saw that, read the room, and kind of took back a lot of those tactics that people found controversial. So overall, I've been really pleased with them. Again, results, results, results. And we put it on the donors. I mean, there's opportunity all over the emails to unsubscribe. I'm very active following the info ad to make sure that people that have complaints are getting off. And, uh, you know, they take our feedback really well. There's certain messaging we don't want to use and they don't push it. They pull it right out. So, you know, they are the ones that are delivering, but we are responsible for the messaging. What sort of messages do you find are working best? So just right across the spectrum, what we see most topical right now is talking about mansion and cinema. We see that working. People are pissed off at mansion and cinema. People are pissed off. I mean, look, it's, it's emotion. I've been a fundraiser my whole life. It's 
emotion. And if you're not happy with what's happening in the environment, go vote. If you're not happy with women's rights, go vote, guns, vote, 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 et cetera. We at Defend the Vote have this interesting opportunity where we can kind of talk about all issues and apply them to voting, right? So right now what we're seeing is, is, is uh, you know, mansion cinema, things of that nature. Trump always works, always has worked. Picking a villain is effective always. Mitch McConnell is a bad person. Mitch McConnell is dangerous for America. Mitch McConnell is an obstructionist who's making impossible pass legislation in, in Congress. We talk about that all the time. I talk about that, you know, over lunch. I talk about that on emails. I mean, he is a real problem. And, and Americans and others and our donors are responding very positively to that message. You're successful in raising money through this entity. To what tune in the first few months? So we'll we'll finish this quarter about 140,000 which for a new organization is great. We're projecting about 1.5 next next And, and hopefully I assume you'll be going down the path that you did with Brady Pack, right? Towards many millions. What are you going to do with that? It seems very easy maybe or maybe not easy, but it seems doable to sort of play on the liberal heartstrings the way you are and to say, you know, like there are a lot of things wrong and we're going to go after a key piece of it. What is it that qualifies you guys and what are your plans to make good use of this money that you're raising from people? I I love that question. And talking about a mission is so important to us. So we're a new org that's, you know, we all know the analogy, we're building a plane, we're flying the plane. We know a handful of things here. 2022 is an incredibly crucial election for democratic politics. It's incredible to continue to pass legislation or to pass legislation we know will save lives and will protect our democracy. So for 22, I almost look at it in two different ways. For 22, get the org up and running, build up for a solid 24. But what's that mean? It means build out our donor base, get strong on our messaging, and, and make sure that we are working with members to do a handful of things, run and win on this particular issue. Right, running, winning, voting, voting rights, voting access. Um, we're going to work with secretaries of state, Nathaniel. Not a lot of folks are doing that. So this great organization run by Kim Rogers called uh, DAS, Democratic Association and Secretary of State. Yeah, I had her on the podcast not that long ago. Oh, she's brilliant. So um, she's you know good friend, incredibly. Uh, uh, she's doing incredible things already over there. So we'll work with DAS. Uh, we're going to work with uh, Democratic Associates, Attorney Generals, DAGA, and then we're going to work in state. I'm going to identify a few states, but really looking clearly at Nevada right now for 22, Nathaniel. Um, There's a strong Senate race there. The maps are still being drawn in Nevada. It looks pretty positive for Susie Lee and for Representative Horsford. But, you know, two really important Antitus, uh, three really great Democrats there. So you're going to donate to their campaigns? That's what you're you're basically you're basically targeting people who you think are really crucial in the voting space. Correct. Targeting those or folks organizations. and organizations, right? So we, we know, look, there's, there's just a few of us over here. Um, so that's why we team up with, I mentioned the collective and some other orgs in the past. We'll team up with these, these organizations I just mentioned who really are boots on the ground, know well. So we evaluate, we steward our donors dollars as best we can. We evaluate to evaluate the organizations that we want to work with that we knew were doing great work in the States. There are a ton of progressive and nonpartisan organizations in the voting space already. I mean, there are ones that go back a really long way. There are relatively new ones. There are ones that are focused on legal. There are ones that are focused on politics or policy. There are state-based ones. It's a pretty busy ecosystem, as I'm sure you're 
aware and getting even more aware of being in the space. Why do we need another one? What are you doing that you feel is really additive? Yeah, I mean, I think that the biggest thing that I'm hearing now from the lawmakers that we're talking to is they're not seeing the type of attention that they'd want to see at the state level. So those those going back to secretaries of state and the election officials, you can make and have real influence in those elections with minimal amounts of money. They're not getting the attention that they deserve. There are organizations that have been long standing in the space. Uh, a lot of those are like our friends at End Citizens United. I mean, they're doing incredible work. They're a massive organization. There's a lot of works like that that aren't focusing the same way that that we're trying to and we plan to at that state level. So, and going back to my early days with Brady Pack, I mean, we are small and we are nimble, and we can move money and move money fast into some of these places. Not a lot of bureaucracy over here. So, if it looks right, feels right, we make the move. So, basically, you're a, a kind of a fundraising arm for the political voting rights area. Is that right? I mean, we all are, right? I mean, aren't we all? Uh, And so when it comes to the policy initiatives, that's something that we're working toward and trying to identify. Uh, But right now we know that it all starts with having the right people in office to preserve the democracy, to make voting access easy to all. And, you know, that is, those people aren't exactly hiding. Um, And we know that at the Secretary of State AG level, it's really important. And then in, in the federal, we know who those people are as well. I am definitely concerned that, you know, that modifications that the Republicans are making or aiming to make in the state level are a big threat. They're a big threat to people's rights. They're a big threat to change results in a Republican direction. They're a big threat to put uh, a Trump or Trump-like person in office who doesn't have the votes to actually win in the electoral college. So there's an, a lot bigger issue than this, right? I mean, it must feel like you've put yourself right in the middle of it. Yeah. And it feels good to be there. Um, it really does. I mean, look, we want to be a part of the action and look at this as the most pressing issue. I want to say ever, but it's certainly in my lifetime that this is something we need to be focused on. So if we're going to be active, my perspective is, just as honestly, someone that's been entrepreneurial in the nonprofit political space my whole career, it's like, where else would we rather be? Uh, I want to be in the middle of all this. I think based on our experience, we can make some real lasting change. So this is the place to be at this point in time. When you're a, when you're a new organization, I think it takes a little bit for people to kind of grasp your bona fides, you know, that, that you are what you say you are, that you're not just you know, raising money to pay the staff, as some people do. What can you tell us about the safeguards you put in place, the rules that you have around compensation, around the use of the money, things like that? Yeah, I mean, right now, I don't earn any money. So (laughs) I'm not taking any salary. Uh, I'm just trying to do everything I can to get the org up and running. So build out our advisory committee, Who's on that so far? That's that's right. We're, we're getting that all started. Uh, so I, I want to talk about who, but I'm not even in that position yet. But I can tell you it's individuals from the Brennan Center, individuals from End Citizens United, longstanding people in democratic politics. Um, and then again, these, these people are lending their time as individuals, not uh, through their corporations and through their, uh, you know, I, I'm just keeping a clear line between C3 and, and political work, obviously. Legal... 
is an incredibly important component to setting up a pack. And compliance is an incredibly important component to setting up a pack. And everyone that I talk to, having now set up a handful of packs, when people come to me for advice, I say the first thing you need to do is call a lawyer. And the second is get a good compliance firm. It's so complicated, Nathaniel. so many aspects of this. Who is your compliance firm and who is your lawyer? So Capital Compliance right now is our compliance firm. They are probably the best in, in the business. Um, we just changed lawyers. We just changed law firms. We were working with Sandler Reef forever. Um, and we've moved over to a new org who's one of those 50 different names here. And I'm going to pull up in a second. Um, but Andrew and the team are absolutely exceptional. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, Olson Remco is the org. I'm not entirely sure what I would do without these folks. It is a lost cause for so many political organizations. If you're not leaning on compliance illegal, you can get a lot of trouble fast. But going back to your point, your comment about a lot of orgs sprouting up, there are a lot of people that are in this for the wrong reasons. And there are a lot of people that are in this that say, hey, I can start a pack. I can peel off a lot of revenue for myself. I can pay my buddies, make a handful of contributions here and there and move on. Those scammers are bad, bad for our business, right? Um, so what are we doing? You'll ch check our FEC report in 2022. You'll see the gross majority going to candidates and organizations, just like you saw with Brady Pack. Um, we are not in this to make money. We are in this to protect our democracy and to ensure that we're getting the right people elected into Congress to do just that. So, yeah, I mean, it all goes back to legal compliance. You start there and then you move on. I noticed that you have a uh, MBA uh, in studied entrepreneurship and that and I feel like you're a political entrepreneur have, with what you did with Brady Pack and what you're doing here. What have you learned about entrepreneurship in the political space that you can share with other people who might be interested so when I, so I earned my MBA from Babson College, uh, and it was all corporate, right? So we're pitching VC firms and our and our case studies and all that stuff, and it was fun. But I was always the nonprofit guy there, and I always tried to think of, okay, well, if we're going to do this corporation, let's make it a sustainable corp. Let's make it a B corp. I always had that perspective on things. It was super fun to do. I look at my experience there, my experience professionally coming over to politics. I think that if you're if you have an entrepreneurial mindset, everything's a good idea. You need people around you to tell you maybe it's not. You need people around you to kind of keep keep the bumpers up. I've always had good teams around me to do that. Brady is a fantastic example. The leadership there did an incredible job uh, keeping us on focus. And you know, every idea is a great idea, uh, but maybe not applicable here, Brian. Right? <laughs> so you know, we can be experimental uh, as highly regulated as politics are. There are ways to be really creative and experimental with things. And, you know, if it doesn't work, shut it down. Going back to us being nimble, if something's not working, then stop it. Some ideas we had early on with, with um, not gun violence prevention, but looking at the early on in the voting, there were certain organizations that we wanted to work with that just weren't the right fit for us there. And so I've learned uh, applying a lot of this, getting really excited about some ideas and really excited about certain states. You have to look at your you have to look at your revenue. You have to run a smart business, number one. But number two is yes, it's a great idea, but does it apply to our mission? Does it help us achieve our ultimate goals? And yeah, they'd be a great partner to work with, but perhaps not right now. So temperance has been the biggest challenge for me here. And that's really something that I'm, you know, well, I think always be working on. Sort of patience. Patience is a better way to say, yeah, patience, right? Um, and I think that just going back to the fundraising roots. 
we would always joke that impatience is a virtue, right? Having this mindset of like, why haven't they called me back yet? I'm going to keep calling until they answer. I'm going to ask for 100,000 instead of 75,000. I'm going to do, 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 you know, thinking that way. Applying that here, it works because it's such a run and gun operation. I mean, we're just always moving. There's always benchmarks in place. Always, there's always another election. There's always more legislation to come. There's always a new candidate. It's always something sitting around the corner. And just like getting on top, staying on top of all of that is probably, there's always action. You know, there's always something happening. And I love it. I think that's a general trait that you need as an entrepreneur is to, is to continue to push things forward. If you sort of stop, I think things fall apart, things die, right? It, it, it's definitely a necessary trait. I'm curious about this. This You've talked about being small and nimble. Um, other people beyond you, do you have any <laughs> staff yet? <laughs> Why do you have to ask that question? <laughs> <laughs> well, I see you alone in a room, but of course we all are alone in a room right now. <laughs> uh, so, so look, we're building up, we're starting a new organization. And so that requires some sacrifice. So yeah, am I approving emails? Uh, am I doing Twitter? Am I the janitor and the CEO? Absolutely. That's what's happening right yeah. now. So it's I'm, just you right now. It's just me right now. And a couple of my tried and true consultants and then who are working for free also. Um, and we're working free also. Nicole Brennerschmidt, who's well known in, in uh, Democratic politics, is someone I've always leaned on. And then our advisory council, who I'm sure would love to be paid but can't do it, uh, are also very helpful for us. Yeah. Is the Brady Pack still then someone else in charge of that now and it's still going full speed ahead? Yeah. So, so when I stepped away from there, they put an intern, ED, who's doing great work. And then the team that we built while there are still very much in place. The board is still strong. I know they're trying to build out the board, in fact, right now. But yeah, it had to be one of those separations where it's like, okay, very proud of this. We've done great work here, but I want to move on to this thing. And so we just did a kind of clear cut. Uh, obviously, we're still friends. We're going to collaborate on things throughout the cycle. Um, but yeah, I know I just had to put all the time and attention toward Defend the Vote. What's your big vision? Like, where would you like to be after a couple cycles? So... Let's get through, get smart in 22. Let's have a splash in 24. Be really involved in protecting the house. Or, or sorry, hopefully protecting the house, not, re, not getting the house back. Senate, same idea. I would like to see us involved in the presidential in some way, shape, or form. Not sure yet. But really want to be seen as a player in the local politics at the state level. An organization that comes in with a scalpel and makes really smart, wise investments, very strategic investments in areas that can really change things and change democratic politics and really protect the democracy, as I keep saying. I'm going to go back to Brady for a minute. We were very effective in the Georgia runoff with the Warnock race, I think because we used a, a little over $100,000 and invested in a digital ad that attacked Loeffler. And this was on the IE side. All I did was approve the budget. Our team put this together, did an incredible job, where they did very strategic attack ads to Loeffler on women in the diverse Atlanta suburbs. And so they looked at women that voted Trump in 16 and then voted in 18 and to the best of our ability in 20 with the voter rolls, voted in 20. And were able to do targeted digital ads to them 
and they were all viewers. Uh, like if you want to watch the view, for example, say you go on Nathaniel, perhaps you do this. You go out to watch the view online. No. You got to watch <laughs> future, uh, 30 second ad before you watch the view. And the ad is a Guafler attack ad, right? So we were able to be super hyper-targeted in that way. The hundred thousand was spelled incredibly, spent incredibly well. We beat her with that demographic 16 to one. Right. So that's the kind of moves that we want to make. And we want to be able to hang our hat and say we're part of the team that helped Senator Warnock uh, be elected to office. So we want to be known as a smart organization, nimble, I keep saying organization, that makes strategic moves that is small, but can be really impactful. Other than Brady Pack, do you model yourself after any other PACs or entities out there? So less on the giving side, but more on the uh, internal uh, when we were getting Brady Pack started, and I learned a lot from Brady Pack that I've applied here to defend the vote, um, I looked at N Citizens United, uh, and I looked at a lot of how they were raising, uh, and I looked at their in, their infrastructure as a real model. Because N Citizens United, I interviewed their ED a couple of years ago. She had raised like $30 million, right, in that year. It was unbelievable. They're, they are exceptional. and they Are they um, mothership also? Their mothership also, uh, though I don't know a ton about the, the origins of the relationship there, but they certainly are mothership. Um, they've set up an affiliate pack as well, voting pack that I think that they're, you know, Tiffany will know, but maybe 50, 60 million last cycle. I mean, they are. They're growing huge. and they're big. Is it sort of the same donor base that that you're basically all in? I mean, we all are as as progressive organizations. We all kind of are. Uh, again, organizations that have been around at the or, the origins of digital fundraising have grown much faster than organizations that have come on a little bit later. Um, and so, you look at some of those those you know uh, voter turnout project and ECU is certainly one of them. Elect Democrats, I think, is what it's called. Another one. These are massive, massive operations. Um, you know, I don't know that we can get there. I think that the donor base is going to get tired, Nathaniel. And I'm not entirely sure that this digital space that we see today is going to last forever. But the organizations like Mothership that are the leaders in the space are always adapting. And our organization is adapting with them. We set up a pretty strong texting program here at Defend the Vote that we're proud of. Our digital program strong. But you can't just rely on that. You need diversity on your revenue streams. And and so I'm building out uh, a major giving uh, uh, platform as well. There are some incredible fundraisers here in DC, major donor fundraising, PAC fundraisers, et cetera. So, you know, trying to identify the right firm to work with to build out that major giving program as well, because we will see a dip. We see seasonal dips anyway, but we'll see just a general across the board dip as more organizations get involved in digital fundraising. And, and I want to be in a position where I can offset that with some of this major giving and tr more traditional fundraising, to be honest. When you look at the progressive ecosystem, you've been part of a couple organizations now that are part of it. It's quite vast. There are numerous uh, organizations across single issues, across multiple issues, across all kinds of areas of geography and so on. What do you think about the way our team is organized? And do you have any ideas about how that could be more rationalized? Republicans are really well organized. And Republicans do an exceptional job focusing on like three things. And everyone's on board on messaging. 
And it's just like the, the rank of file fall in, the hierarchy is real there. Republican politics are hyper-organized, and that's something that I wish we could see more from Democrats and Democratic politics. Now, I always got a kick out of donors saying, well, uh, I'm thinking about Brady. Well, Giffords, there's every town, there's Brady. Why don't you all just get together and, and have your own massive organization? And well, I mean, it doesn't work that way necessarily. We all have our own initiatives. We all have our strategy and our plans. And I used to, our friends in the cancer space, I always got a kick out of this comment. Is the only thing the American Cancer Society hates more than cancer is other cancer organizations, right? Like, so ideas around organization, no, I'm just like all my friends and everyone else that sits and bitches about it. I don't have any grand plan right now, but we are always talking and thinking of, you know, what can we identify as our two or three things? How can we be a little bit more lethal? Um, uh, there's this incredible book, is it The Righteous Mind? Uh, what the hell is it called? It's uh, uh, I just finished it. Um, basically understanding how uh, Republicans feel so strongly in their views and Democrats feel so strongly in their views and trying to understand both. Why are people delighted by politics and religion the way that we are, right? There's this mindset there. And the book basically hypothesizes that Republicans are the way that they are because they aren't so emotionally invested in every single decision. They aren't always thinking about every intricate player. They're thinking about the larger mission and the larger goal. And I think that as Democrats, I wish that we were doing that a little bit more. Now, it's important to hear everybody, et cetera, and to think about the minority and the minority's views. But we have to, within our own party, be a little bit more sacrificial and think a little bit more strategically about you know, our larger initiatives and larger end goals and how we get there. And I think our Republican counterparts do an excellent job of that. And it's probably the only praise I'll ever deliver. Um, but it's real. I mean, they do an excellent job. Well, in the area of that defend the vote works, uh, where you are familiar with the kind of array on the team on our side, when you look at the other side, how do we match up? Are they better funded, less well-funded? Are they more organized, less well-organized? What do you see, you know, how I call this the great battlefield. What do you see in this part of that? Well, look what they're doing. They're, they are, they're, we're beating them in fundraising, right? We also beat them in numbers. We, there are more of us out there. Um, but we're beating them in front of everything. What they're doing and what they're doing well is they recognize this opportunity at the state level. And they are getting very involved in, we hear about the school boards. We hear about state legislatures. We hear about local town, city, state politics. We look at the secretaries of state. They are saying we can't win at the federal level because we're simply outnumbered. And so now they're going to where a lot of the laws are made, especially on voting, they're going down into the secretary of state's level. They're moving money towards those races. And that's something that we are defend the voter trying to counter. We know a lot of organizations are trying to move in that direction as well. What if I failed to ask you that I should have? I'm in this funny space where, you know, I've, I've started now my second pack. I was co-founder of Brady pack. I should say, and give credit to all the folks that are responsible there. Um, founder here of defend the vote. Um, like a lot of the international development guys, you know, I, I've got this itch and need and want to be abroad. And I look at what we have here in America, and I think about my experiences always. I mean, working in refugee camps, uh, living and working in Saudi Arabia and, and bringing access, education access to women the way that we did. HIV AIDS education in Southern Africa, all these really cool initiatives. But politics at every level always came into play. There was always some force there, political force that prevented us from doing certain things. 
or that we relied on for funding or we relied on for approval. You know, um, Saudi, we couldn't do certain things with women because we couldn't do certain things with women. That was the monarchy making those decisions. Southern Africa, South Africa, same kind of stuff. Northern Ireland, we saw it. Ethiopia, we see it. Working in Turkey with Syrian refugees, we'd see all these different things. But but politics could always change things. And if we have the politicians on board, we can make meaningful changes. The way that I always looked at it, and I always worked for NGOs, non-governmental organizations, but I always saw how government could play there. So I think about what I've done politically, how I can apply that overseas, perhaps. My experience here in the United States is, you know, working in, in, in politics. Can I apply this knowledge going back to my international development days? What can we do? What can I do with my ability to raise money, my understanding and relationships that we have, and I being just the general network? What can we do abroad to make some impact? Um, I also know that in you know, in the sort of same voting area. Yeah, in the same, yeah. yeah, because yeah, right. And everything's different everywhere, but everything's different in every state that we're working. I mean, we have to adapt to survive. So. You know, a lot of what I'm just kind of, before my head, it's a pillow of thinking, like, how could we, you know, that entrepreneur mindset, you know, how can I apply this to this? And how can I get there? God, I want to go back to South Africa. Oh, man, I want to be in Ethiopia right now. You know, just thinking about all this stuff and just going off the handle here. But I just watched Narcos on uh, Netflix, right? Narcos, Mexico, like the third. And I'm looking at the government there and and the corruption is real, right? But I'm just looking at the government and, and everything that they're doing. And you just think if they had the right levers in place and if the right people could be there to change this one little tweak this one little thing or provide funding in a different way get some legal funding into the operation so they didn't have to go this particular route all that could have been different could have been changed you know um had they been working with FARC in a different way and thank god for that some of years ago but had they been working with FARC a different way could we have moved the needle now these are very smart people highly educated far more than i right but it's just, I just am always thinking about what can we do with this information abroad? How can I work back in that space? How can we build an organization in that space once Defend the Vote gets to where it needs to be to be effective? Well, it sounds like you have plenty to do over the next few years. And that's always an enviable thing, honestly. So I, I appreciate you taking the time. Is there anything else you want to say? Thanks for having me on. Thanks for doing what you do. And I'm not sure if the folks are aware of your background, but we talk about digital fundraising, et cetera, you're one of the pioneers there and you've done a lot for democratic politics and you've done a lot to advance a lot of the really important missions that we're all getting behind. So I want to just say before we go, thank you to you um, and all that you've done throughout your career. Well, I appreciate that. Whatever I did was fairly old news at this point, but I am definitely enjoying talking to folks like you and keeping up with what's going on. Well, the infrastructure is real and you helped do it. So thank you. Do you guys use uh, our software? Oh, we have to. Yeah, absolutely. We have to. I mean, I wouldn't know where else to go. (laughs) All righty. That was Brian Lemick. Brian is at wedefendthevote.org. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found.